Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I'm really sorry, listener. I hope she didn't get any of that on you. That just came because we were literally just discussing how would you how would you spell a raspberry? Like, and I was like, T-H-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-A-
if you know the casting director for any of the Dick Wolf series, please slide their information our way because we really are trying to get Heather on one of those shows. I would be amazing. I'm just saying right now, I'm, I'm, I know we've brought this up on other episodes that I just want to play the dead hooker or I just want to be on Law and Order for whatever reason. I, I think most recently we brought that up on, on the episode, episode that <laughs> we haven't recorded yet. Yeah, man. Um, speaking of, I guess we should just like make that announcement because that's sure, yeah. coming up and it's about a month away. Yeah. So Campfire Classics, is, we're coming up on a year. We've almost been doing this for a year. And uh, uh, I will be getting uh, back on the cruise ship boat uh, sailing vessel uh, starting in July that I was on before. Same yeah. same the, one that, that I've mentioned. Ship boat cruising vessel. Ship boat cruising <laughs> vessel. However you want to call it. Um, and I will be getting in on July. I start rehearsals in a month, so June 15th. So Ken and I are currently recording double episodes every week. We're doing the episode that gets released, like this one. And then we're doing another one, which is a slightly longer story that we usually can't do because we talk a lot. Uh, <laughs> um, but we're going to release those for the first month or six weeks I'm on the ship because our home port will be Jamaica for the first six weeks. And I'm not sure what kind of internet I'm going to have for those first couple months uh, on the ship. Um, and I'm also going to be doing install and everything. So just, it, I'm not going to so, have a very legitimate, like normal schedule. And then after that, we'll figure it out. And just so you know, listener, we're going to keep doing this because oh yeah. we love doing it and we love that you love it. But, so. but just so you know, starting in July sometime, you're going to get a couple of episodes that were recorded um, well, this the, month. The first one was recorded earlier this week. Um, yeah. so and it's so good. I'm so excited for everyone to hear it. So yeah, so so you're gonna you're gonna get a little bit of stuff where our super topical political humor is gonna be outdated <laughs> by about eight weeks. Which That's is all. why we're not doing it really. So uh, <laughs> so you won't hear as much as this delightful banter, but you will definitely hear fun facts and hear some stories. But so until that's, then, so that's so that's our news here at Campfire Classics. And until then, it's going to be business as usual. Speaking of business as usual, on to new business. Do we have any promos this week? We do, Kenneth. We do. Well, Heather Michelle Lawler, tell me all about this week's promo. Well, our newest promo is for a delightful literature podcast. What? I know. There's another one? There's more. We, we did Breaking down. down Bad Books, and now we're doing another one. So the more I'm on Twitters and the more I'm on other things, the more I learn that there are other literary podcasts. Now, I've yet to find one anything like ours. but That's because we're special. We're very special. But so is this one. So this is called Ratchet Book Club, and we're going to play you the promo right now. me harder. Fuck me harder, daddy. Fuck me like the I am. Put it daddy. I don't even care. I don't care who sees me. Them can't fuck with me. They can't see a like yours. Fuck me, daddy. Fuck me, dad. Oh, hello. I'm Derek, and I'm the host of Ratchet Book Club. We read hood classics and good classics, and that means anything from Old Thought Next Door to The Phantom Tollbooth. We read a few chapters every episode, and then we discuss what we thought of each chapter before we get to the next one. It's pretty enlightening. Sometimes you find out things you never knew, like did you know that somebody's 
Ratchet Book Club. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and anywhere else you really could think of good fucking podcast should be at. I'm obsessed. I'm oh, obsessed with Derek. <laughs> what the fuck was that? That's the best thing I heard oh in a long God. time. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm obsessed. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I thought when we had to bleep out, <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm obsessed. So first of all, Derek or Rashani is is on Twitter. So I'm like, is your name Derek or Rashani? Either way, go with it. Derek or Rashani. Derek have mercy. They have been incredibly supportive of us because they love Campfire Classics. So they've posted some funny things. They're like, these bitches are crazy. And I'm like, and this podcast is exactly what you just heard. It's so funny. Like, like. Holy mother. Yeah. Just get ready. Just like grab a drink. Done. Yep. We've got our drink. And like, go check out some. Uh, interesting literature. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Ratchet Book Club. Ratchet Book Club. Check it out. The link is in our show notes, and uh, I will make sure to tag them when we're promoting this episode. But Man, I know what I'm doing tomorrow morning. I know, right? It's like I listened to one of the episodes while I was out running errands, and I was like, my stomach hurt because I kept laughing so, so hard. Something so. I've started doing is um I so, so uh most of the podcasts I listen to regularly are comedy podcasts mm-hmm. and I often listen to them while I'm working out which <laughs> is either a really I good idea or a really bad idea because on the one hand for the most part it leads to a lot of extra abdominal engagement but on the other hand on the rare occasion that I'm holding something heavy over my head it feels really dangerous. However, I've caught up on most of my comedy podcasts at this point, yep. I, so I don't have anything left to binge. I'm well, waiting for new. So I think this all, might be my next. All one. these podcasts we're promoting, I highly recommend. Because yeah. like, uh, uh, like, <laughs> oh. I, I don't know how you work out to the like podcast <laughs> because me personally, you've seen me laugh. Like when yeah. I start laughing. I can't control myself, and I know I will hurt myself or run in front of a car unaccidentally. Like, unaccidentally? Unaccidentally, yeah. Unaccidentally, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's not a word. Exactly. It that's is a what word. Will it's, to me. it's just garbage grammar. It's, uh, it's um, that's my Shakespeare. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your Shakespeare from? My Shakespeare's from where the fuck I want it to be. <laughs> um, Realistically, if if you find yourself keeled over in laughter during that promo, then you you were right there with Heather, who I thought was going to hurt herself <laughs> falling off the couch. I was as we more were enjoying watching it. Ken listen to it because um, he has never listened to the podcast itself, and I was like, oh. And I had not listened to the promo yet on purpose because I knew it was going to be something ridiculous. And Derek like warned us with like, beware of much implied language and some actual language. And Ken's like. Implied language. What I'm the like, fuck is implied it language? Probably means what we do whenever I say <laughs> on this podcast. Well, and then uh, yeah, and then it <laughs> and opened then it with was way me, more. daddy, <laughs> me, daddy, well, me, Well, we harder, don't even daddy. know that's what they were saying. We don't even know because later they said fuck. So why would they edit that out? <laughs> but we do know that's what they were saying because I just bleeped out every time I said. Fuck figuring that that's meow, what we meow, heard. Meow, no actual meow. bleep because I'm <laughs> quoting their show. <laughs> oh lord. <laughs> 
Well, go listen. Go check out Ratchet Book Club. It is available everywhere, and all the links will be everywhere. And that, oh, that, and if that you're promo lucky, made me laugh. And if you're lucky, we'll we'll get him on an episode of True Crimes and a Lie coming up soon. Because that, that sounds like a good ass. That sounds time. like a good ass time. And also, <laughs> that makes me want to re-record our promo, so it's way funnier. Like <laughs> that was ridiculous. I'm obsessed. Anyway. Uh, That's that was our promo this week. You're right. welcome, everybody. Um, thank you, Ratchet Book Club. Fucking badass. You're, that's fucking amazing. Uh, amazing. I love it. I want to know what that book was. Oh. <laughs> uh, other than that, uh, I'm spent. I, yeah, my I'm like my belly is tired from like that's laughing. So uh, we're done. Thank you for listening. Thanks uh, for listening. <laughs> I think we should actually, you know, get to what we do. Get to what we do? All right. I so, think so, dear listener, um, because I know that every episode is probably somebody's first episode, um, what we do is take turns reading books from authors of classic literature. Uh, these books short are stories. Short stories. Um, yeah, we're, we're Often not. Often they're in collections, but we're, yeah, we're, not, we're not doing the chapter by chapter. We're not reading War and Peace. Um, oh God. <laughs> mostly because who's got time for that shit? Nope. But uh, so we take turns dropping short stories on each other and um, forcing the other to read it cold. And this week it's my turn to read a story. So Heather's going to tell us a little bit about our upcoming author and then um, hand me a story that I'm going to try to read He's never for you. seen before and I've never heard before. So. Whoop-dee-doo, here we go. So this week, our story is another new author, because they're just endless. I mean, <laughs> so many right. amazing people. Um, I'm going to read their first name, like their full name first, and then I will give you their literary name. Okay. This is, our author is Henry Wren Albert Guy de Montepoussant. Okay. He goes by Guide the Montepoussin. Oh, yes. Okay, cool. He's French. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and I might be butchering his last name. Is that pretty good? Montepoussin? I'd have to see it written. Um, but uh, the nice thing about French is that all of the letters are meaningless. Okay, good. Just like um, life. I took French for two years in high school. And uh, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know I'm trash at it. But I picked this author for Ken because he actually speaks okay French. I, I think if I'm remembering how the name is spelled, it's I think it's Montpassant. Montpassant. Mont. 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 More nasal. Mont. Montpassant. 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 Not, not my pussy. Montpassant. 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 How I love Montpassant. Isn't that what they sing in Little Mermaid? Les poissons. Oh. Les poissons. <laughs> les poissons is the fish. Wait, is moi poisson my pussy? No, moi, mon poisson would be my fish. Uh, mon chat would be my key cat. My key cat. So my 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 fish could be a euphemism. Yeah. So uh, I, anyway. I actually I didn't study enough French to know what their euphemism for genitals. Of if either French, gender are. If you're French and you're listening, please let us know what the slang is for genitals of of the lady of the lady nature. Of of the feminine variety. Of the feminine variety. If you're I'm French call, and listening, I'm really I'm sorry. so sorry. I've I always apologize to the French and the Germans specifically, because a lot of our authors visit those countries and then I have to pronounce those words and it's 
it's really bad. Okay, so I, instead of talking about my fishy the whole time, I'm just going to call him Guy for the rest of the Great. episode. It's probably Guy. Guy. Oh, yeah, it probably is. All right. <laughs> We're off to a good start. All right. We've was, made it as far as his name. Yeah. <laughs> that only took five minutes. Uh, he was born August 5th, 1850. and was So he's pop- old. Yeah, he's super. He's still alive. He's kicking it. He's kept cutting footloose. Um, he was a popular French author. And um, during his lifetime, he actually had the good fortune of seeing that his stories were successful. So oh. he's rare-ish in that sense that he didn't have to die to be famous. Got a leg up on Melville. Guy, Guy was born in Chateau de and was the son of Laurie and Gustave. I'm not even going to attempt their last names to respect the dead. Um, When he was 11 years old, so he had a younger younger son. When he was 11? (laughs) Damn. I mean, the French get going early. You know, whatever. Uh, When he was 11, he and his younger brother, who was five, his mother decided to risk social disgrace and obtain a legal separation. So they were in, like, they were considered the the like hierarchy. They were in the aristocracy. Dad was like the cousin of a baron or some yeah. shit, and mom decided to leave him because he was abusive, and this was like a no no. Then Eve didn't matter if like the, you were the property, and she was like, uh, nah, because this is an educated woman, and she's like, I'm I'm out. So she got a divorce was granted to her, and she got both the children. Those those. Liberal, progressive, hippie-ass French fuckers. Damn it. What about it? Giving man? women's rights and shit. God What's wrong with damn. them? So he was raised by his very uh, awesome, educated, progressive mother. Um, she was a very influential figure to him. She was very well-read and uh, fond of classical literature, particularly Shakespeare. Um and until the age of 13, Guy lived happily there with his mother and his younger brother by the seaside and like went fishing and outdoor activities and she kind of homeschooled them. And then she decided they needed to get a formal education. So she sent them to a like seminary school, a private school, basically, mm-hmm. that was of a religious yeah. decree. Guy did not love this so much. Uh, he, uh, he began with a marked hostility to religion. Uh, and he Tough judged it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> he was like, he was deplored by the atmosphere of it, the ritual, the discipline of it, all the rules was not about it. He found the place unbearable and he got himself expelled. <laughs> I could not find what he did. I'm guessing he just, you know, said fuck or something. And like, they're like, no, 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 get out. Hey, we, uh, that's not French. It's very Italian. <laughs> Again, Except not. I, it was very Mario Italian. Again, I apologize to all people of all descents of, of humanity. <clears throat> so he was expelled. and uh, But he had a very close family friend who kind of became a second father figure to him. So Gustave Flambeau is a famous artist. If anyone out there is an art lit major or something or minor or whatever. Um, and he was actually... Connected to the family because he was the godson of Guy's great-grandfather. And he has the same name as his actual father. Which is also creepy and weird. But, you know, it's France, so there's only like 12 names. There's Pierre. It's like when you were in French class and they're like, give yourself a French name. And I was like, I'm Monique. 
and 12 of the boys were Pierre. Yeah. Anyway, so he became like a second father figure to him, and he's an artist. So he had this artist influence over him, and now he's expelled from school. So he starts like encouraging him to express himself artistically, and he starts writing. Then the Franco-Prussian War broke out. So yippity kai yay yay war. So that was in 1870, and Guy enlisted as a a volunteer, uh, and he drew very heavily on this experience. So a lot of his stories, his short stories to come, um, were set during war times, and they often depicted the tragedy and suffering of innocent civilians caught in a war path. Uh, He also found inspiration in the not-so-admirable behavior of the bourgeoisie, the rich, um, which his dad was, but when mom separated, was very much of a working class. Um, And he made them targets of his biting pessimism in his writing. In 1871, he left Normandy, and he moved back to Paris, where he spent 10 years as a clerk for the Navy Department. And then he was writing on the side with his friend Gustave. So he continued to influence him, and Flambeau took Guy as like kind of a Argy as a young protege, introducing him to significant writers. And then much like Flambeau's paintings, Guy's stories told the plight of the lower classes. So it was very much exposing the people that were probably reading these stories to what was actually going on in the world. During these 10 years, his only real recreation was he'd go out into the country on the weekends when he had the weekend off. And, and do heroin? Con- oh, it's so much better than that. He was canoeing on the Seine on Sundays and holidays. Like, that was his thing. He'd go off. But the girls he would invite on these recreational outings were prostitutes or prospective prostitutes. Prospective prostitutes? Like, girls that were trying to be like, like you know, they were just, maybe they were just having sex but then they decided mm, i could make some money doing this <laughs> so they were they were still in the minor leagues basically yeah. so they were still deciding whether to charge or whether to just be like this is a good weekend all right so if you remember france in the 1800s he had a lot of fun with these people and he discovered in his early 20s he had syphilis because, you know, that... Because that's what happens when you... When you go canoeing on the Seine on Sundays with prostitutes. That's... There's a song right there. <laughs> canoeing on the Seine on Sundays with hookers. Like, yay. I feel like there's a Sunday in the Park with George parody mm-hmm. in there somewhere. Sunday, Sunday on the Seine with hookers. <laughs> Sunday on the Seine with syphilis. <laughs> oh, no. Hookers on the Seine with Gee. <laughs> um, so syphilis was like the the big STD of the time. Like I'm sure it's still actually around, but it's much more. But it was know. way more popular. <laughs> you just hear about it a lot more back in the day. Um, so it was a very widespread malady, and he was like, you know, okay, so I got it. Um, I'm gonna ignore it. So we move on with his life. Just so you know, listeners, if you contract syphilis, do not ignore it. And yeah, you're going to find plan. out why. You're going to find out why. Plan. So uh, he, his very first published work is considered a masterpiece by like people around the world to, to, till today. And I'm going to butcher this. Um, it's boulet de Suf, which was the dumpling. It translates to the dumpling. Um, 
and it was instant success. Like, immediately. First thing, it's like, bam, 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 look at this guy. Guy's the coolest. Guy, this guy, Guy is cool. Um, and his friend, who was Gustav, characterized it as a, quote, masterpiece that will endure. Um, and then he continued to publish these short stories um, that were all very successful. From 1880 to 1891, this was the most fertile period of his, like, writing career. And he would... Uh, produce two or sometimes four volumes annually of short stories. So, like, and every volume had, like, 10 to 15, 20 stories in it. So, like, he's just, like, cranking it out out all while he's got syphilis. So he immediately was successful. So I'm not going to go on and on about his, like, hard life as a writer because he didn't have a hard life as a writer. Um, Now, he became part of a group of artists... Um, including Alexandre Dumas and actually 46 other literary and artistic notables that hated the fucking Eiffel Tower. (laughs) This was just a fun fact I found out because to this day, you'd ask a French person what they think of the Eiffel Tower and they're like, fuck that place. So this is a fun fact I found out about him. So he became a part of this artistic group of people that were like, this thing has to come down. It is a disgrace to our city and our country. So Guy often ate lunch at the restaurant, uh, in the restaurant at the base of the Eiffel Tower. So there was a little cafe at the, at the place. And he said, it was not for the preference of the food, but because it was the only place in Paris you could avoid seeing it otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> What a bizarre thing to build an artistic community around. So, yes. So he and 46 other literary artistic notables attached their names to an irate letter to protest the construction and like the like sustaining of this thing. And it was written to the Minister of Public Works. And apparently you can find that letter. And it's like, mm, good Lord, which I found so funny because you talk to any Parisian and they hate that but they hate it so much like they have like disgust for the Eiffel Tower so I was like wow that goes back to when it was first being constructed that's interesting all right so he's having a good literary career he's having a good political career and like objecting to these buildings so his brother who was five when he was 11 so six years younger than him um also had syphilis so much like his brother, so his brother had actually passed away from syphilis a few years earlier. As I said, he refused to undergo treatment. This caused severe mental health issues. Like it does. It's called the actual like name for it. And I'm going to probably butcher this. So please, uh, if you know what I'm saying, it's neurasia, neur, neur, neurathenina. It's... <laughs> It's a constant desire for solitude, obsession for self-preservation, fear of death, paranoia. It's it's basically a it's basically the mental illness that is caused by syphilis and like what it does to your brain. I'm I'm just looking at the pronunciation guide. Yep. Neurasthenia. Neurasthenia. So it caused neurasthenia, um, which caused a among other things a constant desire for solitude, obsession of self-preservation, a fear of death paranoia of persecution, paranoia in general. On January 2nd, 1892, 
he tried to commit suicide by cutting his own throat because he was parent like yep. some you know yeah his his brain was literally eating itself at this point um and so he was then committed to a private asylum in paris um and unfortunately he died there a year later on July 6th, 1893, from syphilis. That is what his diagnosed death was. Uh, so he only lived to be 42 years old, and he is considered the father of short stories like, hmm. in the world. He is considered uh, the modern short story, and he only lived to be 42. And he didn't even really start writing till rather, relatively late. So he, uh, he writes, and he writes like he's running out of time, like Hamilton. Yeah. Well, probably because he, he knew he was knew he, had syphilis, he knew so. he was going to die of syphilis because he decided not to be treated for it. You know, but I don't know what the treatments were then. I don't know if it would have actually done much. I don't, I don't know. I am not an expert on syphilis. Um, <laughs> sorry to say, or grateful to say, really. Um, he actually penned his own epitaph, uh, and it says, "Quote: I have coveted everything and taken pleasure in nothing." That's on and his. And he was a pessimist. Yep, that's on his gravestone. Uh, <laughs> so uh, a little bit about him post mortem. He, uh, he is admired. Like I could go on and on about the people that are like he influenced me. He influenced me. And like blah 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 blah. Uh, women and men alike. People that write up to this day look at his short stories and go, "That's that's what I'm trying to do," uh, including Anton Chekhov and Henry James. Um, some of his most famous works, which we are probably going to read, so I don't want to read lots of the titles, but there's one that is uh, on uh, this website, AmericanLiterature.com. It said this, so now I really want to read it. If you have the stomach for it, you might try this truly terrifying piece of gothic fiction, The Hand, written by him. Right. That's not what you're reading, because <laughs> I'd already picked the story, and I was like, Oh, fuck. What's that? That sounds awesome. Uh-oh. I don't know if I have the stomach for it. I bet we do. Fucking A. All right. So today you will be reading arguably his most famous work entitled The Necklace. Okay. So Guy, and you say his last name again. I forget. Montpossant. Montpossant. Guy de Montpossant. Not my pussy, but... My fish. Guy um. of my pussy. <laughs> Let's start this fire. <laughs> oh, God. The Necklace by Guy de Montpassant. She was one of those pretty and charming girls who, as if by a mistake of destiny, are born in a family of employees. Freaking working class. She had no dowry, no expectations, no means of becoming known, understood, loved, wedded by any rich and distinguished man, and she let herself be married to a petty clerk in the Bureau of Public Instruction. What a bitch. <laughs> God, women, we've come so far. We have a long way to go, but she's... She let herself be married because she had no dowry. Fucking A, man. 
I don't know. A lot of women still get married for money. Well, they do, but they make that choice. They're not, well. Yeah. Things, things are at least marginally better than they were 150 years ago. Yes. We have a long way to go. <laughs> <clears throat> she was simple in her dress because she could not be elaborate. Girl, thrift stores are your friend. They are your but friend. But she was as unhappy as if she had fallen from a higher rank. For with women, there is no inherited distinction of higher or lower. Their beauty, their grace, and their natural charm fill the place of birth and family. Natural delicacy, instinctive elegance, and lively wit are the ruling forces in the social realm, and these make the daughters of the common people the equals of the finest ladies. Damn right. Women are smart whether you educate them or not, because women have intuition, and women read a room, and women are adaptable. Yeah. She suffered intensely, feeling herself born for all the refinements and luxuries of life. She suffered from the poverty of her home as she looked at the dirty walls, the worn-out chairs, the ugly curtains. All those things of which another woman of her station would have been quite unconscious tortured her and made her indignant. The sight of the country girl who was made of all work in her humble household filled her almost with desperation. She dreamed of echoing halls hung with oriental draperies and lighted by tall bronze candelabra while two tall footmen in knee breeches drowsed in great armchairs by reason of the heating stove's oppressive warmth. She dreamed of splendid parlors furnished in rare old silks, of carved cabinets loaded with priceless bric-a-brac, and of entrancing little boudoirs just right for afternoon chats with bosom friends, men famous and sought after, the envy and the desire of all the other women. Um, this woman sounds like every artist in New York I've ever talked to. <laughs> it's like... If I was famous, I wouldn't live in this fucking closet studio in Astoria. I would have the walk-in closet that big shows carry on Sex and the City <laughs> and <laughs> the penthouse. And I'd be hanging out with Liza and like uh, fucking Paul Rudd and all these like established people. Oh, if only I were. But I'm just going to sit here and stare at my walls and be miserable because I'm like, I'm a fucking artist, damn it. Because <laughs> like, we all do it. Yeah. We all do it. <laughs> when she sat down to dinner at a little table covered with a cloth three days old and looked across at her husband as he uncovered the soup and exclaimed with an air of rapture, Oh, the delicious stew. Oh, I know nothing sweet. better than that. She Aww. dreamed of dainty dinners, of shining silverware, of tapestries which peopled the walls with antique figures and strange birds in fairy forests. She dreamed of delicious viands served in wonderful dishes, of whispered gallantries heard with a sphinx-like smile as you eat the pink flesh of a trout or the wing of a quail. Aww. 
Well, her, at least her husband's really nice. He's, he, he's, he's trying. He's content. Yeah. He's happy with his station, and yeah. she clearly wants Isn't. wants more. She she longs for more. She had no dresses, no jewels. She's n- naked all the time. Nothing. Yeah, apparently <laughs> she just hangs around the house naked. Which Cooking is stew. Probably part of why her husband's so happy. <laughs> yeah. If all she does is hang around the house naked cooking stew. I love like, your naked stew, honey. <laughs> Take note, people. <laughs> cooking that, naked. You want it? You want Don't it? fry anything though. No frying naked. No. Nope. A good Don't, soup. A generally, good like, actually, baked thing. G- generally avoid breakfast. Most breakfast foods when splatter. you're cooking splatter. Bacon. Bacon specifically. Bacon. But like also. No donuts. No. Yeah. Uh, no sausage, pancakes. Sausage will splatter a little bit. Pancakes. Pancakes can, can. if the pan heats yeah. long. Yeah. Like if the egg, if the yolk pops yeah. or something. You no can naked like, breakfast unless you're doing a baked something. Yeah. Um, and no. Um, or cereal is yeah. probably pretty safe. No fish and chips if you're naked. Like go more for the for the baked the baked casserole situation. Yeah. Yep. Or like the lid on that frying pan is your best friend. <laughs> and then maybe put a lid on your uh, <clears throat> ma poussin. <laughs> wear an apron. Yeah, wear an apron. You can serve naked, but you should always wear an apron while yeah. you're cooking. Yeah. She had no dresses, no jewels, nothing, and she loved nothing else. She felt made for that alone. She was filled with a desire to please, to be envied, to be bewitching and sought after. She had a rich friend, a former schoolmate at the convent, whom she no longer wished to visit because she suffered so much when she came home. Okay, first of all, I'm not going to pass judgment on her because we all want what we can't have. That's true. But, like, she seems to have... A roof over her head and some good stew and a nice a nice guy at least a nice guy. Um, I'm interested to see where this goes. Comparing yourself to others is the best is way to ensure that you'll be miserable miserable forever. So uh, maybe maybe uh, we should teach her that lesson. For whole days at a time, she wept without ceasing in bitterness and hopeless misery. Also, some like Prozac would be great too. Now. One evening, her husband came home with a triumphant air, holding in his hand a large envelope. There, he said, there is something for you. She quickly tore open the paper and drew out a printed card bearing these words. The Minister of Public Instruction and Madame Georges Raponneau request the honor of Monsieur and Madame Loisel's company at the Palace of the Ministry Monday evening, January 18th. Oh. Ooh, bougie. It's like they get to go to the ball. Yeah. We are going to the ball. Instead of being overcome with delight, as her husband expected, she threw the invitation on the table with disdain, murmuring, What do you wish me to do with that? Why, my dear, I thought you would be pleased. You never go out, and this is such a fine opportunity. I had awful trouble in getting it. Everyone wants to go. It is very select, and they are not giving many invitations to clerks. You will see all the official world. 
She looked at him with irritation and said impatiently, What do you expect me to put on my back if I go? (laughs) He had not thought of that. He stammered, Why, the dress you go to the theater in, it seems all right to me. He stopped, stupefied, distracted on seeing that his wife was crying. Two great tears descended slowly from the corners of her eyes toward the corners of her mouth. He stuttered, What's the matter? What's the matter? By a violent effort, she subdued her feelings and replied in a calm voice as she wiped her wet cheeks, Nothing. Only I have no dress, and consequently I cannot go to this ball. It is a ball! It is a ball! It is a ball! (laughs) Give your invitation to some friend whose wife has better clothes than I. Well, why don't you instead accept the invitation and borrow your friend's clothes, oh bitch? (laughs) Or just throw a little hissy fit at the fireplace and wait for your fairy godmother to show up and give you a magic pumpkin. Go sing by the magical tree in the forest and, you know, like, I I know how this shit works. Oh, I'm saying, good lord. That's what I do when I need a new outfit. Have you ever seen a Disney movie? God damn. (laughs) He was in despair, but began again. Well... Let us see, Matilda. Uh, her name's Matilda? Her, her name is Matilda. Aww. How much would it cost, a suitable dress, Aww. which you could wear again on future occasions? Something very simple. He's so nice. She reflected for some seconds, computing the cost, and also wondering what sum she could ask without bringing down upon herself an immediate refusal and an astonished exclamation from the economical clerk. <laughs> He's like, the fuck you just say? Yeah, so she's she's going... She's trying to avoid that. Yeah. Well, she's, she's trying to get she's as much thing, money as she can without getting the uh, hell no yeah, response. She, she's, doing the, she's doing the thing that, that kids everywhere... Yep. Can I have $5? Ask your mom. And you go and you're like, hey, mom, can I have $5? Like, ask your dad. I did. He said, it's okay. He said, ask you. Okay. Like, you, you do the thing like, yeah. you're like, nah, nah, nah. Or, or or it's, mom, I, I uh, we're going to the movies. Okay. Can I have some money for the movies? Yeah, sure. How much do you need? Okay. So, how much is so, the movie? How much is the movie and plus a bag popcorn of and, yeah, and, and a, a soda? And, okay. But... Yeah, okay. If I can, can get I add, two can extra I add dollars. five extra dollars to that yep. without her freaking out? Yep. No, no, that'll be too much. So two, two. I'll add two more. And okay. then I can get some gum after and like a soda. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's $18, mom. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. At last, she answered hesitatingly. I don't know exactly, but it seems to me that with 400 francs I could manage. That seems like a lot. (laughs) He turned a trifle pale, (laughs) for he had been saving just that sum to buy a gun and treat himself to a little hunting trip the following summer in the country near Nanterre. Okay, you don't need a gun. It's cool. With a few friends... (laughs) who went there to shoot larks on Sundays. However, he said, Well, I think I can give you 400 francs, but see that you have a pretty dress. 
this guy okay i hope it doesn't turn out he's like the piece of shit or something and he's like super like like uh uh like manipulative but it seems like he is actually like really really trying to yeah. make his wife as happy as possible this, and like so far this feels like it's going to be a story about someone who's just never happy with what they have yeah like don't compare yourselves to others yep. be be grateful for what you do have kind of situation the day of the ball drew near and madame loisel seemed sad restless anxious her dress was ready however maybe she just needs a good deep dick in <laughs> Could be. Could Maybe. Because it's, like, it's a very religious time. Like, you're only supposed to, like, have sex if you're, like, making babies. Maybe she just really needs some, like, good loving. Yeah. It's also possible <laughs> or she's a lesbian. that she's just not into dicking. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't want a deep dicking. She wants a deep licking. Like, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I hope she finds happiness. Let's find out. Or a good therapist. She definitely needs, as I said, some Prozac or like, you know, that or a therapist. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Her husband said to her one evening, what is the matter? Come now, you've been looking queer these last three days. And she replied, it worries me that I have no jewels, not a single stone, nothing to put on. I shall look wretched enough. I would almost rather not go to this party. He answered, you might wear natural flowers. They are very fashionable this season. I'd go make myself a damn flower crown because I am not a bitch. For ten francs, you can get two or three magnificent roses. She was not convinced. No, there is nothing more humiliating than to look poor among a lot of rich women. There's nothing more humiliating than trying to look rich, a bunch of actual rich people. That I can attest to be real as a person who has lived in New York City. <laughs> when you try and dress bougie and then you actually get around people who, who can afford are bougie, to dress bougie, you look trashy. So just show up like you and you're gonna be like you're gonna be more comfortable. Show up as Cindy Lauper. Damn right. <laughs> Fuck expectations, just be yourself. There is nothing more humiliating than to look poor among a lot of rich women. But her husband cried, How stupid you are! Go and find your friend, Madame Forestier, and ask her to lend you some jewels. You are intimate enough with her for that. I was literally going to say... Why does she borrow something from somebody? That's what all the celebrities do anyway. Like She uttered a cry of joy. Of course, I had not thought of that. The next day, she went to her friend's house and told her distress. Madame Forestier went to her handsome wardrobe, took out a large casket, brought it back, opened it, and said to Madame Loisel, Here's a dead body. Enjoy it. <laughs> casket i'm like here's a vampire enjoy i don't think for a change i don't think it's that kind of story i don't think it is either but i heard casket and i'm like uh-oh here comes although, the undead although hope springs eternal every time we start a new story i hope it's going to be a vampire story i mean madame forestier went to her handsome wardrobe took out a large casket or case yes i know 
brought it back, <laughs> opened it, and said to Madame Loisel, Choose, my dear. I'm sorry. She saw first of all some bracelets, then a pearl necklace, then a Venetian cross of gold set with precious stones of wonderful workmanship. She tried on the ornaments before the glass, hesitated, could not make up her mind to part with them, to give them back. She kept asking, "'You have nothing else?' "'Why, yes, but I do not know what will please you.'" (laughs) "'Damn right.'" At least her friend's being real with her. Like, if her husband can't be real, at least her friend's like, what do you want? That's, I mean, that's what friends are for. That is what, that's what real friends are for, is to be like, look, those are awesome. What else do you want from me? Why, yes, but I do not know what will please you. All at once, she discovered in a black satin box a splendid diamond necklace, and her heart began to beat with boundless desire. She's going to have her first orgasm ever. I don't know. Her husband seems pretty thoughtful and caring. I feel like he's put in the time. Thoughtful and caring does not equal that. And she seems like someone who's just going to be like, yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, bye. (laughs) she's, She's never relaxed. This woman's not ready for that. But jewels, diamonds are a girl's best friend, baby. Her hands trembled as she took it. She fastened it around her throat, over her high-necked dress, and stood lost in ecstasy as she looked at herself. Yep. Then she asked, hesitating, full of anxiety, Would you lend me that? Only that? Why, yes, certainly. She sprang upon the neck of her friend, embraced her rapturously, then fled with her treasure. She is surrounded by delightful human beings. She's surrounded by people who love her who love and want her, her to and, be like, happy. Want her to be happy. Um, yeah, definitely need some some, some therapy yeah. and mental and this, some uh, Prozac. This, this makes me nervous. It makes me very nervous. <laughs> the day of the ball arrived. Madame Loisel was a success. She was prettier than all the others, elegant, gracious, smiling, and crazy with joy. All the men stared at her, asked her name, tried to be introduced. All the cabinet officials wished to waltz with her. The minister noticed her. She danced with delight, with passion, intoxicated with pleasure, forgetting all in the triumph of her beauty, in the glory of her success, in a sort of mist of happiness, the result of all this homage, all this admiration, all these awakened desires, this victory, so complete and so sweet to the heart of woman. Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababwa. I mean, this is very much that story. Like, it's like, I want to be a prince. I just want everything I never could have because I'm this, this, and that. And, like, you get what you wanted, and then it's not what you thought it was going to be. Yeah. That's what it makes me think of is, like, it's all, you always want what you can't have yeah. situation. There's, well, there's a like reason. Because, like, Jasmine in Aladdin wants to be the common folk. And Aladdin wants to be bougie. Well, I also like, I also think of the the very real world parallel. Like you don't even have to go to that sort of mythology. Poor people want to be middle class. The middle class want to be rich. The rich want to be millionaires. The millionaires want to be billionaires. And the billionaires want to go to fucking Mars. They want to get the fuck off this planet. Yeah, you always want the next thing. You have to decide 
I'm okay with this, or you're just going to constantly be. She left about four o'clock in the morning. Well, damn, her fairy godmother gave her a much later curfew. Yep. (laughs) Her husband had been dozing since midnight in a little deserted anteroom with three (laughs) other gentlemen whose wives were having a good time. This is how they all got syphilis, (laughs) y'all. He threw about her shoulders the wraps which he had brought for her to go out in, the modest wraps of common life, whose poverty contrasted sharply with the elegance of the ball dress. She felt this (laughs) and wished to escape. Ball dress. That she might not be noticed by the other women who were wrapping themselves in costly furs. Ball dress. Are you you just going to keep repeating ball dress? Acknowledge ball dress. (laughs) Um... Okay, are you imagining a dress covered in testicles? <laughs> or a dress made out of the balls. little rubber like balls from balls. a ball pit? No, I was actually imagining ball pit. Like, like if on Project Runway, they did an unconventional uh, and materials challenge, like a, a and they took them to a play McDonald's play group. place. Yeah. Yep, like one of those like gymnastics play places. It's like... I'm going to take all these balls and make a ball dress. Tim Gunn's like, make it work. Make it work. But please stop saying ball dress. (laughs) (laughs) And someone across the room's like, I'm making the ball dress. And he's just got scrotums everywhere. (laughs) We were at a children's play place. Where did you find all of those scrotums? Is there a crime oh, I that I need wrong, to report? I went to the wrong play place. I thought we went to the like the stripper play place. I'm sorry. <laughs> Am I disqualified? No, continue making your ball dress. You're not disqualified, but you're going to be arrested for cutting the <laughs> testicles off those strippers. <laughs> That's a crime. <laughs> you can't do that. Make it work. Make it work. (laughs) She felt this and wished to escape that she might not be noticed by the other women who were wrapping themselves in costly furs. Loisel held her back. Wait here. You will catch cold outside. I will go and find a cab. But she would not listen to him and rapidly descended the stairs. When they were at last in the street... They could find no carriage and began to look for one, hailing the cabmen they saw passing at a distance. They walked down toward the Seine in despair, shivering with the cold. At last they found on the quay one of those ancient nocturnal cabs that one sees in Paris only after dark, as if they were ashamed to display their wretchedness during the day. Damn! It's like the gypsy cabs in New York. That's yeah. what they're called in New York. It's because they're not affiliated. They're like freelance cab drivers. And you they're could sketchy all, as hell. You could always find them in neighborhoods where cabs wouldn't go. And you get in and they're like, where are you going? And then you say, where? And you go, I'll pay you $10. And they say, okay. Or they say, get out. Yeah. Like, that's literally what they were. Either that or they pick or, you up at the airport and they say, where are you going? 
and they take you three quarters of the way there and say that'll be two hundred and seventy dollars. And you and say you uh, say no. Fuck off. And they say, okay, we're gonna go talk to my friends. Don't get in those cabs. Those people are not cab drivers. They are just bored and have nothing better to do than swindle you out of a lot of money. Anyway, that sounds like this. They were put down at their door in the Rue de Martyr and sadly mounted the steps to their apartments. It was all over for her, and as for him, he reflected that he must be at his office at ten o'clock. She took off the wraps which covered her shoulders before the mirror so as to take a final look at herself in all her glory— but suddenly she uttered a cry. The necklace is gone. The she no gone. longer had the necklace ah! about her neck. Fuck, I knew it! <laughs> oh, shit! Her husband, already half undressed, inquired, What's the matter? She turned madly <gasps> toward him. I have, I have, I no longer have Madame Forestier's necklace. This is the fucking plot of Ocean's Eight. <laughs> Spoilers. Anyway, yeah, and then she'll eventually be on it. It's fine. <laughs> he stood up, distracted. What? How? It is impossible. They looked in the folds of her dress, in the folds of her cloak, in the pockets, everywhere. They could find no trace of it. He asked, You are sure you still had it when you left the ball? Yes, I felt it on me in the vestibule at the palace. But if you had lost it in the street, we should have heard it fall. It must be in the cab. <gasps> Don't take the damn gypsy cabs! <laughs> yes, that's probable. Did you take the number? N no, and you, did you notice it? Always no. take the number or the cab! Oh my god, this is like a New York horror story. They looked at each other thunderstruck. At last, Loisel put on his clothes again. I'm going back, he said, over every foot of the way we came to see if I cannot find it. Oh, my God. So he started. She remained in her ball dress without strength to go to bed, sitting on a chair with no fire, her mind a blank. Her husband returned about seven o'clock. He had found nothing. He went to police headquarters, to the newspapers to offer a reward, to the cab companies, everywhere, in short, where a trace of hope led him. She watched all day in the same state of blank despair before this frightful disaster. Loisel returned in the evening with cheeks hollow and pale. He had found nothing. You must write to your friend, said he, that you have broken the clasp of her necklace and that you are having it repaired. It will give us time to turn around. I feel like if it's in the newspapers, friend saw it, I would just call friend or you show up and be like, we're looking for it. Um, I uh, done fucked up. Yeah. The story uh, is all full of morals. Yes. Be happy with what you have. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Um, Don't take janky ass cabs. Yeah. <laughs> if it's after 2 a.m., just go, go to, to sleep. sleep. That is that is true. Nothing good happens after 2 a.m. She wrote as he dictated. At the end of the week, they had lost all hope. 
And Loisel, looking five years older, declared, We must consider how to replace the necklace. Oh, God. The next day, they <laughs> took the box which had contained it and went to the place of the jeweler whose name they found inside. He consulted his books. Uh, it was not I, madam, who sold the necklace. I must simply have furnished the casket. Then they went from jeweler to jeweler, looking for an ornament like the other, consulting their memories, both sick with grief and anguish. They found in a shop at the Palais Royal a string of diamonds which seemed to them exactly what they were looking for. It was worth 40,000 francs. Oh, shit. <laughs> they could have it for 36,000. Oh, shit. Go talk to your friend first, please. Go talk to your friend. Just go fucking talk to your friend. She probably already has it. Someone's already returned it. Let's be real. <laughs> so they begged the jeweler not to sell it for three days, and they made an arrangement that he should take it back for 34,000 francs if the other were found before the end of February. Oh, my God. Loisel had 18,000 francs, which his father had left him. He would borrow the rest. No. He did borrow, asking a thousand francs of one, five hundred of another, five louis here, three louis there. He gave notes, made ruinous engagements, dealt with usurers, with all the tribe of moneylenders. He comprised the rest of his life, risked his signature without knowing if he might not be involving his honor, and terrified by the anguish yet to come, by the black misery about to fall upon him, by the prospect of every physical privation and every mental torture, he went to get the new necklace and laid down on the dealer's counter 36,000 francs. I think it's time for Matilda to start hooking. You know those prospective, <laughs> those prospect, prospective prostitutes we were talking about. I, 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 he's doing a lot of work. I don't hear anything that this girl's doing. She lost the damn necklace. I'm like, time to start making some indecent proposals. I'm just saying. Like, she was wildly popular at that ball. I know. I, I'd start all the, selling all her the, to all the balls. All the clerks <laughs> wanted to dance with her. Everybody wanted to dance with her. I'd be like, this the is... The minister was asking about This is it. my wife, uh, 10,000 francs. <laughs> like, this is how you get prospective prostitutes right here. When Madame Loisel took the necklace back to Madame Forestier, the latter said coldly, you should have returned it sooner, for I might have needed it. She did not open the case to the relief of her friend, if she had detected the substitution, what would she have thought? What would she have said? Would she have taken her friend for a thief? Madame Loisel now knew the horrible life of the needy. But she took her part heroically. They must pay this frightful debt. She would pay it. They dismissed their maid, they gave up their room, they rented another under the roof. 
She came to know the drudgery of housework. Bitch had a maid and she was complaining. Oh my God, I ain't got no time for this. Yeah. No, she was... um, (laughs) She was solid middle class. Yep. Like solid middle class. Yeah, she was doing all right. (laughs) She had a maid. (laughs) My God, if I could afford a maid, life would be glorious. (laughs) Yeah, now she like has to clean the house and and you know cook for herself and yeah now she has to make the stew naked <laughs> naked because she can't afford clothes so yeah uh she came to know the drudgery of housework the odious labors of the kitchen she washed the dishes straining her rosy nails on greasy pots and the bottoms of the saucepans she washed the dirty linen the shirts and the dishcloths which she hung to dry on a line she carried the garbage down to the street every morning and carried up the water stopping at each landing to rest life's hard and dressed like a woman of the people she went to the fruiterers, the grocers, the butchers, her basket on her arm, bargaining, abusing, defending sue by sue her miserable money. Oh my god, I had to go to the grocery store today, and I had to do laundry, and then I had to cook dinner. <clears throat> like, oh my god. Just going, oof, didn't know how good I had it. Yeah, like, life was sweet. <laughs> don't it always seem to go that you don't, don't know what, what you got, got till it's gone? Pay paradise, put up a parking lot. Throw Ooh, back to another bop, episode. Bop, bop. See? Another moral. <laughs> You don't know what you got till it's gone. Each month they had to pay some notes, renew others, obtain more time. The husband worked every evening, neatly footing up the account books of some tradesman, and often far into the night he sat copying manuscript at five sous a page. And this life lasted ten years. Shit. At the end of ten years, they had paid everything. Everything with the exactions of usury and the accumulations of compound interest. Wow, they paid back all of their debt in ten years. I bet students would love to be able to do that. That that sounds uh, pretty... uh Pretty efficient, actually. Madame Loisel seemed aged now. She had become the woman of impoverished households. Strong, hard, and rough. So legit, awesome, badass, is how I'd put it. (laughs) With hair half-combed, with skirts awry, and reddened hands, she talked loud as she washed the floor with great swishes of water. But sometimes, when her husband was at the office, she sat down near the window and thought of that evening at the ball so long ago when she had been so beautiful and so admired. This is like the story of Cinderella if the prince didn't come find her. (laughs) She's just stuck at the fucking, like, house, like, oh, it was so great, and I, like, loved every moment, but... Oh, shit. Now I just know what I had, and I never can have it again. So, you know the joke, what happens if you play a a country record backwards? 
Oh, they get their they get their house back and their dog back they, and like their they're, beer. They're, and... they're, they're, yeah. This is what happens if you play the album of Cinderella backwards. Backwards. It's like because she had a pretty decent life, and then she went to a ball, and now and she's she scrubbing became floors. Cinderella. Yeah. It's like yep, yep. <laughs> what would have happened if she had not lost that necklace? Who knows? Who knows? How strange life is, how changeful, how little a thing is needed for us to be lost or to be saved. But one Sunday, as she was going for a walk in the Champs-Élysées to refresh herself after the labors of the week, all at once she saw a woman walking with a child. It was Madame Forestier, still young, still beautiful, still charming. Madame Loisel was... Agitated. (laughs) Agitated. Should she speak to her? Why, of course. And now that she had paid, she would tell her all. Why not? (gasps) No. She drew near. Good morning, Jean. The other, astonished to be addressed so familiarly by this woman of the people, did not recognize her. She stammered, but, but, but woman, I do not know you. You must have made a mistake. No, I am Matilda Loisel. Her friend uttered a cry. Oh, my poor Matilda, how changed you are. Yes, I have had hard days enough since I saw you, days wretched enough, and all because of you. Uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no, no. Do not blame your fucking friend for your damn mistake, woman. <laughs> Me? How so? You remember the necklace of diamonds that you lent me to wear to the ministerial ball? Yes, well. Well, I lost it. How can that be? You returned it to me. I returned to you another exactly like it. In these ten years we have been paying for it. You know, it was not easy for us who had nothing. At last it is over, and I am very glad. Madame Forestier was stunned. You say that you bought a diamond necklace to replace mine? Yes, you did not notice it then. They were just alike. And she smiled with a proud, naive pleasure. Madame Forestier, deeply moved, took both her hands. Oh, my poor Matilda. Why, my necklace was paste. It was worth 500 francs at most. the end oh my god that's the best twist ending oh. we've had yet oh shit oh my god wow i did not 
not expect that. I thought she was going to say, no, this is the necklace because it had an engraving or something. Yeah. And those were the probably the people that stole it. Like, yeah. you should have just told me. And like, la, la, la. No, I was not expecting that. That's fucking. Okay. So let's think of all the morals of this story. Just from that alone, what people perceive is not always true. So, like, be content with what you have. Yeah. Uh, be truthful with your friends. Uh, be like, just... Now I know why he's the father of short stories. Well, and that's, you think Ooh. of, that's, if she had been honest up front yeah. from the beginning, Her friend that been necklace, like, that necklace was worth about the same as the dress, the dress she had just bought to go to the ball. They could have just sold that dress because the dress um, was worth that much. It had been worn once. You sell it for a little bit less, so then you have a hundred francs that you have yeah. to earn. That takes nothing. I mean, that's that's a month where they have to eat uh, less meat or something. Yeah, the, for it. for a month they eat mushroom stew instead of beef stew. Yeah, that's literally it. Like um, we've all been there where there's like, oh shit, I had to fix the car this month, so now I can't eat like out as much or something. Um, if you're middle class, like. It, I, oh my god it hurts my soul it hurts my soul i did not see that coming <laughs> um dear listener if i can if i can be sort of that that thing that you're avoiding telling someone about that thing that you're avoiding talking about that issue that you're skirting around just deal with it and deal with it up front because it could save you 10 years of misery <laughs> don't be matilda don't be matilda like, hashtag don't be Matilda. Hashtag don't be Matilda. I mean, good God. That was a very, very fun uh, reveal. Yeah. Uh, it's a good story. I, do, I now understand why he is considered the father of the, like, modern short story. I mean, that, like, I don't, we, I don't think we would have Agatha Christie, uh, Arthur, Arthur Conan Doyle, and uh, um, some others... Uh, if we didn't have the twist and like that twist, that the, kinda... the next story in that collection was an yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. These like, tw- like that, that twist was like, I, I knew there was a twist coming and I thought I had like, I was like, okay, so it's going to be this, this isn't, no, it wasn't. It was, it was all a facade. It's, it's all a lie. It's all a lie. Everything's a lie. Just live your life. So we've come we've come full circle because as I said in the beginning, it's okay. You can pronounce it how you want. In French, all of the letters are meaningless, just like life. <laughs> and that's what the story came down to. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Campfire Classics. I hope we've left you in a happy mood. Uh Go about your day and make decisions because nothing matters anyway. Just be happy. <laughs> be happy or don't be. Fuck it. Doesn't matter. Feel how you feel. Feel how you feel and wear live your, it out loud. Wear your costume jewelry. Don't get syphilis. Don't get syphilis. <laughs> I think. Wear, yes. wear an apron if you're going to cook bacon naked. Yep. These are the, these are the, the uh, morals we teach you here at Campfire Classics. You're welcome. Um, 
Please tell your friends, uh, five of them. Five of them, to be exact. Uh, if you like, this. If you this, didn't like this episode, go listen to a different one and see if you like that one better. We really should start our episodes with the whole, like, disclaimer. This is a... This is a short story podcast where we read classic literature. We are not fucking classy, and if you're offended by swear words, then fuck the fuck right off. I think that, I mean, like, we should probably make one of those. Listener competition. Write us a disclaimer. How would you disclaimer this show? If you are a loyal listener, or even if this is your first episode, because this is pretty accurate. Yeah. How would how would you, how? Uh, yeah, tell us, write us a disclaimer. Let us know. Because um, then we'll record it. And, and hell, edit. if you want... Just record us a disclaimer. We'll use you doing it at the front of our and episode. And we'll give you props on like on our website. So, yeah. There you go. I guess we don't have to do a like shout out now. Like now you just have to do that. Or you can shout out and just say ball dress. I think that's our secret our secret passcode this code week is, is ball, ball dress. dress. <laughs> and maybe an image to go with it. What is your idea of a ball dress? Yes, absolutely. Feel free to flood our inbox <laughs> with images. I would, of ball I dresses. would, actually, what you should do is send those to us on Twitter, <laughs> because Heather sees all of those. I think we've got enough. Follow us on Facebook. All the things. There, they, they got everything. I'm gonna drink more wine now. But uh, thanks for coming. Great. So while Heather is soothing her brain with a couple of sips of wine, I'll sign us off by saying until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. If you don't like what you've got, go get some costume jewelry and everything will be okay. Just don't lie about it, fuckers. Or just some deep digging. You gotta get some deep digging. <laughs>